Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, here with our executive director, Jeremy Kitchen. How are you doing? Doing okay, man. Busy week. It has been a very busy week. My body is feeling it. I was uh, on the road traveling back and forth to Austin, uh, witnessing on some really important bills this week. Uh, and so uh, we have officially begun the busy part of session. And so uh, things are only going to ramp up from here. Yeah, it certainly feels like it. I mean, it's uh, it, you'll see this kind of slow growth crescendo, if you will, of bills for sure. Yeah, so, uh, of course, this week um, I went and testified on a few different bills. Uh, the House uh, and the Senate both rolled out their property tax reform packages. Um, and so there, there was a little bit of difference, which, of course, we're going to talk about today. Uh, and I went to go testify for HB 2127 as well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they called me in the Senate at the exact same time that I was testifying at, uh, for that. And that's Burroughs bill. Of course, we'll get to that as well. Uh, some very interesting stuff happens uh, this week. I believe we do have some footage, right, Jeremy? Yeah, I'll, I'll set the stage real quick. So, of course, uh, God bless you, man, for, for going down and testifying as much as you did this week. Uh, as you said, so the House and Senate, right, have kind of dueling proposals for quote unquote property tax relief. Um, you know, House Bill 2, uh, we've talked about previously very, very briefly, but House Bill 2 is the, uh, you know, House leadership's approach to uh, providing property tax relief. And ultimately what that does or seeks to do is drop the appraisal cap from 10% to 5%. And then it does provide um, some additional compression or maintenance and operation school property tax compression, which we do favor uh, there. So um, we have a, a, a one of the interesting takeaways from that, that, that committee hearing, as you saw, is that there were, um, surprising to me, actually, a lot of individuals and businesses that were opposed to the appraisal cap approach and certainly favored the M&O compression approach, which we do. So uh, let's look at that clip real quick. <clears throat> the 5% cap provision on all real property raises concerns, and we feel it might be problematic. However, uh, we respectfully oppose the provisions in HB2 that impose a 5% appraisal cap on all real property. Uh, over time, those caps create an unequal distribution of taxes. I think appraisal caps um, have a, according to the literature, a negative impact on both equality and uniformity and on the very crucial um, single valuation methodology. Limiting taxable value with the use of appraisal caps for all real property will distribute the local tax proper, uh, property tax burden unfairly amongst property owners. I'll come up with anything that tells me what the purpose is. What are we trying to encourage with an appraisal cap? Uh, unfortunately, with appraisal caps, uh, with this bill, once the 15 cents of relief is implemented, tax rates will be higher across an, un, an increasingly unequal tax base. There will be tax percent appraisal cap on all properties seems equal, but unfortunately will not be. We focus on appraisal caps and I can tell you unequivocally, they do not work. So yeah, you know, I was very surprised, honestly, like usually, you know, when you go to a hearing on a big bill, you kind of expect a, a love fest, quite honestly. Uh, and, and the very first few testimonies work, right? I would say the first five or six invited testimonies were, were a love fest for the bill. Uh, but as we got further into the witness testimony, almost unanimously, 
everyone was rejecting appraisal caps. Uh, I was actually very, very surprised by this. Uh, everyone, almost without exception, not only said appraisal caps are bad and equitable and they hurt people, uh, but everyone favored what we have been saying for months, which is compression. Compression is the best form of property tax relief. That is why we made it a, a portion of our package. Of course, ours includes elimination. And uh, when I testified, I made that very clear uh, that we want to see elimination, a path to elimination, and we would, uh, you know, favor removing appraisal caps and adding more compression, as much compression as humanly possible uh, in the house. So that's going to help taxpayers the most for sure. It'll be interesting for me to see, of course, so they left that bill pending in committee, which was expected. It'll be interesting to see if they make any changes before they voted out of committee uh, based on the kind of overwhelming, as you just saw, overwhelming feedback uh, or dislike for appraisal caps. I think to be clear, we've mentioned this before. I don't think we're inherently opposed to appraisal reform. Uh, we just don't necessarily think that that's one, the best way to provide actual relief uh, to Texas taxpayers. And, and of course, too, like, you know, being frustrated that we're not being put on a path to the elimination of the tax um, altogether. I think it is a good segue. Of course, we talked about the Senate, right? Also prioritizing its version. The Senate, uh, really, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has put all, almost all his eggs in the basket of a homestead exemption increase. Um, and so he proposed uh, via Senate Bill 3, which is authored by State Senator Paul Betancourt, um, a kind of homestead increase from that of the current threshold, which is $40,000 to that of $70,000. Um, and so uh, you went and testified on that. Let's uh, let's watch that clip real quick. Madam Chair, members of the committee, I'm Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. I would like to express my gratitude for the opportunity to testify neutrally on Senate Bill 3 as currently written. The current property tax system in Texas infringes upon private property rights of Texans. The perpetual property tax system we have in place ensures Texans will never truly own their homes. Despite the Texas legislature's efforts to lower property tax bills over the last 20 years, they have only succeeded in slowing the growth of property tax bills. This perpetuates an immoral tax system that robs Texans of their right to own property. While I commend the bill's efforts to provide property tax relief by increasing the homestead exemption from 40K to 70K, exemptions only shift the burden to other taxpayers who do not qualify for such an exemption, such as renters and businesses. Any relief found in these efforts has historically been fleeting, and increasing appraisals and inflation have often rendered the relief moot. If the Senate is dead set on homestead exemption increases, why not? Why only 70K? Lieutenant Governor Patrick said his goal was to hit 100K in a homestead exemption, so why wait? I urge all to increase the homestead exemption to at least 100,000, if not more. Texans for Fiscal Responsibility strongly favors an approach focused on compression and uh, of school district MO property taxes compared with the lowering of appraisal caps or the increasing of homestead exemption. Senate Bill 3 does not seek to restore Texans' uh, right to own property, but allows state lawmakers to continue treating the symptoms of the problem as opposed to the problem itself. Most fiscal organizations agree the best form of property tax relief is rate compression. It is equitable and lasting. The House's package right now is offering more than double what the Senate is offering in compression, and we believe this is superior to the homestead exemption increase. We urge the Senate to focus their relief efforts on compressing MO rates. You as lawmakers have a historic opportunity this legislative session to provide not only tangible property tax relief to Texas taxpayers, but also a realistic path to eliminating school MO property taxes. This can be started by using as much as possible of the projected $32.7 billion surplus to compress school district MO property tax rates and continue this over time until it's zero. The surplus represents over collected taxpayer money. In conclusion, I, I applaud your efforts to provide uh, tax relief by an increase in the homestead exemption, but I encourage you to 
consider adding more overall to the amount of compression and adding a provision that would put Texas on a path to school district MNO elimination while considering ways to eliminate all property taxes. Thank you for your time. Yeah, so I think, of course, very you know eloquently said, right, is that you know we're not necessarily opposed to a homestead exemption increase. It's somewhat gimmicky. Not everyone benefits uh, from a homestead exemption. Obviously, if you don't claim a homestead, uh, for one, it kind of shifts the burden to other taxpayers. And you know the as you pointed out, right, and I doubt the committee took it very well. Is Dan Patrick or Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick had already said he wants to see the homestead exemption go to a hundred thousand dollars why wait why not do that this go around right it just it kind of shows how gimmicky this sort of thing is especially historically since this thing is primarily always anytime they've increased the exemption has been eaten up by either inflation or rising appraisals right it just really doesn't provide all that much relief and so uh, to be clear of course they left senate bill three um or i'm sorry they, they voted senate bill three out we don't necessarily have the the uh, votes on that but you know everyone has co-authored the bill in the senate so the assumption is it was uh unanimous it'll be interesting to see how quickly that gets passed off the Senate floor. Um, they, you know, we didn't talk about it, but they of course do also have like, it's an overall package, right? So there's, I think three or four bills specifically to the kind of property tax relief package being pushed by Dan Patrick. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, you know, watching the committee, they started, I believe, uh, 9 a.m. Uh, on Wednesday, and I don't think I testified until about 2 o'clock. So they kind of got to watch a lot of witnesses and invited testimony. And uh, as I said previously in the House, like this, this was a love fest. Uh, I mean, this is typically how these big, you know, uh, priority bills go. It's a big love fest. And maybe there's a few people who who come out against or or on. Right. Which is what we do. Uh, one of the things I was really uh, kind of taken aback by was the setup of the bill and quite honestly, like the gaslighting of, of taxpayers and voters uh, as Bettencourt was was, you know, laying out his bill. He actually laid out, uh, I think, quite a, both his HJRs and the two bills together. Uh, he, he was touching on some criticism of the bill. Uh, he was basically saying, you know, old compression, there's 5.3 in old compression from 2019. He's saying, well, it's not it's not old compression. It's new compression because it's actually, you know, actually compressing the rate down. You know, I, it's really complicated. And and it's just I was sitting there saying this guy is is absolutely just gaslighting people into thinking that we can't understand that this old compression that was passed in 2019 uh, is new compression. And the reason that they they have to pitch it this way is because that's the only way they're going to hit that quote unquote $15 billion historic number. That's the narrative. They want to say at the end of session, we provided historical property tax relief. Unfortunately, even if we're lying about the numbers, which we are, uh, that is not historic because that that amount was 14.2 in around 2008. Uh, with inflation, we're closer to 20 billion, which is the number we've been saying. So even with the the dishonest numbers, we're still not even close to historic. And so it's about a narrative. It's about setting a narrative. Uh, of course, you know, in, in the testimony, I spoke against the homestead exemption, but I did make the point, you know, that Dan Patrick said $100,000. Uh, why? Wait, why not 100? Why not 200? Right? We have $32.7 billion. He mentioned in his layout that we don't want to, you know, break the, the constitutional uh, spending limit. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, we would love for you to break the constitutional spending limit to give more uh, taxpayer relief. And when I was looking at their signs up there, you know, they have like, the, you know, this is going to, the $70,000 homestead exemption is going to equal $700 a month. Now, I haven't 
excuse me, a year. Now I haven't done the math, but I'm just going to speculate and say that that number they're using is not like the difference between the $40,000 and the $70,000. They're probably lumping the whole thing in there, like from zero to 70,000. That's my guess. I haven't done the math, but based on kind of the, the dishonesty of the numbers they're throwing out, uh, they're, they're deceiving people into thinking, oh, I'm going to get an additional $700 off my bill when the reality is, no, it's 700 total, but you're already experiencing $40,000 of that. And so it would be less than half of that. So I would assume it's going to be closer to like 400 or 300. Uh, and the fact that people are, are going to experience a 10% raise in their appraisals, uh, it's going to vanish almost immediately. And we're going to be back in two years doing the exact same thing that we have been for the last 20 years because they refused to put us on a path towards elimination. They refused to restore private property rights. Uh, this was the whole point of my testimony, you know, begging them not to throw a Band-Aid on the situation. And even if there is some, you know, property tax relief that comes, it, my guess is it will be minimal uh, and it is not going to solve the problem of private property rights. Yeah, I think the best way, as someone who observed this from afar, right, is the peanut gallery. I, you know, my... My initial thought from the whole thing, both the House and Senate, but certainly the Senate's hearing, Senate finance hearing on this bill was how disingenuous all of this was, right? It just, you know, to catch this $5.3 billion of old compression as somehow it's new because this is the first time it's going to be felt by taxpayers, right? Which I think is what they were trying to hit home is absolutely ridiculous because it speaks nothing to what we've talked about for, you know, several months now on this podcast and on our content, which is, all of the previous attempts at this have done nothing but quote unquote, slow the growth, right? Treat the symptoms, not the disease of this problem. And what this looks like, both the House and Senate's kind of versions of this, although different, is that we're gonna continue to do the same, right? We're not gonna change uh, the system. We're not gonna put us on a path to eliminate uh, this immoral tax system, which I think is a shame for Texas taxpayers, because as we've talked about several times, it's as Dan Patrick's mentioned, as the comptroller Glenn Hager's mentioned, it is a historic opportunity, um, you know, and, and lawmakers have the opportunity to be courageous, to be bold this session, and seemingly leadership, at least in both chambers, is not prioritizing um, legislation to do as much. Let's be honest about what this really means, right, is that they're trying to do the bare minimum, right, so that way they can use all of the other money to do all of the other things, right, the pet projects to spend, right, Republicans in control of the legislature, and they want to spend the surplus money, which is what we talked about is an over collection of tax money on all of these other pet projects. Um, I think that's a shame if taxpayers allow them to do that to get away with that. Uh, this session, there are bills filed, right, that would do everything that we've already talked about uh, on this episode of the podcast, which is put us on a path to elimination to provide tangible property tax relief. It's a shame that those aren't currently uh, being prioritized by the legislature. Um, I'll pivot real quick. There was, you know, there's an interesting tweet, um, I think, which is a good segue to the next bill we're going to talk about. Um, so, of course, you you briefly mentioned earlier that you went down there originally with the plan to testify um, in support of House Bill 2127. For those that aren't familiar, uh, this is a bill that's gotten a lot of media attention the last like two weeks or so, uh, filed by State Representative Dustin Burroughs, a Republican out of Lubbock, who also happens to be within House leadership. He's the House Calendars Committee chairman. He filed a, a, a bill that seeks to preempt local governments, right, from kind of creating these onerous uh, regulations, a patchwork of regulation that affects things like businesses um, and what have you. 
great bill. It's something that we certainly have needed for a long time. But as we've seen in recent uh, years, you have all of these kind of more progressive cities just because they can't get wins at the state level. They take their, you know, progressive agendas to the local level. Um, and it creates a, it creates issues for, for business, but more importantly, small businesses, uh, which ultimately stifles competition, prosperity, everything else. Anyway, so he had this bill. Uh, come up, lay out. You were, of course, going to testify on it. weren't able to make that work because of the way the scheduling uh, worked uh, uh, on that day. But one of the things I thought was interesting uh, before we get your take on it is, you know, he tweeted this tweet right here, and ultimately, what it what it shows is, you know, you had this like huge kind of groundswell of people that were organized primarily by these leftist organizations, to include evidently Texas Municipal League, right? And uh, he's just he's basically saying they're lying about his bill, which prompted him to suddenly, at least publicly, support a ban on taxpayer funded lobbying, which we'll get to in a minute. That was also heard this week. What are your thoughts on this bill? So uh, we like the bill. You know, it, it, it is good for business. It, uh, it basically preempts a lot of ordinances that, uh, as, as we know, you know, through the pandemic and everything we've experienced over the last couple of years, uh, has just caused problems. Cities, these big liberal cities have caused problems. And, you know, when I got into uh, the uh, the hearing, one, it was packed. There's a ton of people there. And I saw a lot of blue hairs in there, right? I watched a few UT students come in and they had like anti-capitalist shirts on. And uh, there was one that had a, you know, don't touch Texas trans or don't mess with trans kids, all, all, all this. I'm like, okay, we got a lot of progressives in here who are going to uh, oppose this. Um, we were going to suggest that he actually add election code. Um, to to that because it's although it's kind of geared towards business it's really a preemption of, of municipal ordinances and so we did submit that through writings because I was unable to testify I was literally testifying in the Senate at the same time they called me over in the House um, but we we like the bill we support the bill we expect it will be passed into law I was not able to see TML's uh, testimony which is uh, what I assume uh, Burroughs was reacting to but we have seen TML's testimony in many other bills and of course you and I being in the legislature for nearly a decade each, um, we have seen lots and lots of this taxpayer-funded lobby groups and the way that they distort the truth and things like that. And so, uh, one part of me is uh, like, "Hey, that's that's great that that Dustin Burroughs is uh, is like, oh, hey, you know, they're lying. Let's ban taxpayer-funded lobbying." The other part of me is like, "Why do we have to react to somebody you know lying on our bill to do what the you know grassroots have been begging for years and years and years? We'll we'll take the win." If they're going to pass it, but it's like, why not just stand on principle and and you know concede that using taxpayer dollars has always been immoral, whether or not someone made you mad on your bill layout or not. And so uh, we support it. Uh, we're going to support him pushing. You know, uh, Troxler's bill in the House uh, is the one who 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 the only one I know of that's filed at least. And of course, uh, or maybe they bring May's bills over from from the Senate. We will see. Uh, but the fact that the calendar's chair is now saying we need to uh, to end our ban taxpayer funded lobbying. That's a really good thing. It's a really good thing for for conservatives who want to see this practice end. Uh, and so ultimately, I'm encouraged by it. Yeah. So, you know, we briefly mentioned this. It is a legislative priority of ours to ban taxpayer funded lobbying. That bill has been filed several times before by then state representative Mays Middleton. He's in the Senate now. That got a hearing at Senate Bill 175 this uh, on Monday this week in the Senate State Affairs Committee. Uh, there was some interesting feedback there. It's expected as the, the uh, bill has previously multiple times. It's expected to pass out of committee. No issues uh, pass out of the Senate with likely no issues. The question 
always remains what's the house. And so seeing uh, Representative Burroughs something come out in favor of it uh, makes things a little bit interesting. I'll throw some, before we get to the clips here, I'll throw some kind of damp water on that and say, you know, historically the taxpayer funded lobbying ban bill has gone through the House State Affairs Committee. Um, that committee is currently chaired by State Representative Todd Hunter, a Republican out of Corpus Christi who voted against taxpayer-funded lobbying ban in 2019. Now, the other thing that, to note here is that House Speaker Dade Phelan was a joint author on the ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying back in 2019 as well. So, you know, who knows uh, what will happen. But um, kind of going along the same theme of like these kind of associations and organizations, the Texas Municipal League, uh, some of the other ones, Texas Association of Counties, TASB, Texas Association of School Boards. There was, uh, we're going to th show these uh, clips real quick. There was a um, the Galveston County Treasurer testified in front of the uh, Senate State Affairs Committee and, you know, outside of our, talking about him eliminating his own position for elected office, he mentioned just how terrible and quote, what he said was nefarious activity on behalf of Texas Association of Counties and Texas Municipal League here. So let's let's see that clip real quick. Uh, I am in favor of SB 175, uh, the ban of the cancer that is taxpayer funded lobbying. And I also want to alert you to uh, nefarious activity that is going on uh, in the state of Texas by said taxpayer-funded lobbyists. I have a long history in local government. I started my uh, service on city council in League City before being elected uh, to a countywide office in Galveston County. I have long been a fan of the services provided by local government associations such as TML and TAC, uh, for their risk pool management, uh, for the uh, legislation tracking that they provide, uh, but the lobbying that they do is horrendous uh, and is non-representative of the voters uh, here in Galveston County or across the state of Texas. Um, these organizations have co-opted the clout, the status, the office of local elected officials to use for their own special interests and purposes. These lobbyists misrepresent their members and misrepresent themselves as a pseudo-government organization uh, with representative authority. So how are they not representative? First off, uh, they're not elected by voters. They might be made up of elected officials who are elected, uh, but these organizations uh, are not elected by voters to represent them in uh, matters of legislation. Uh, these folks do not uh, post agendas or have open dialogue about uh, legislative priorities. The decisions that are made by these organizations are made at the top uh, by staff, by consultants, by lobbyists, uh, and then spoon-fed down to elected officials to kind of carry out their message. I ran very openly and transparently in Galveston County to eliminate my office, the Office of County Treasurer. I defeated a 20-year incumbent and a third challenger without having to go to a runoff election. The citizens of Galveston County overwhelmingly support what we were trying to do uh, while eliminating the treasurer's position and becoming the 10th county in Texas to do so. TAC has uh, intervened and um, gone office to office and told uh, different legislators and staff misrepresenting themselves uh, by saying that Galveston County is against the item 
that the county treasurer is against the item. I am the county treasurer. Uh, I am for SJR 28. Uh, I am for eliminating the office of Galveston County Treasurer. Uh, for, for them to be a uh, pseudo-government organization that uh, pretends to represent elected officials across the state and to go and misrepresent uh, the facts to the legislature, uh, I think is horrendous. It needs to be stopped. There's a number of instances that they've misrepresented themselves. Uh, in the 87th session, they told the county affairs committee members on the House side uh, that the county commissioner's court were not in support of uh, the item. County's commissioner's court voted unanimously uh, and bipartisanly uh, in support of the item. Uh, but the committee members were told that the commissioner's court did not support it. Here in the 88th session, I've met with over 100 uh, legislative offices and I've uh, found the same thing to be true. Uh, these paid taxpayer-funded lobbyists are going into uh, offices and telling them that the current treasurer and the commissioner's court are against uh, our local bill, um, which could not be further from the truth. We have, once again, unanimous support from the commissioner's court, and we have support of myself, the elected treasurer, and 12 of 13 cities within the county have passed resolutions in support of uh, our local bill. Uh, so um, not only are they not representative on their face, but they're also misrepresenting the facts to the legislature. Uh, and I think this bill, SB 175, uh, is a big step in the right direction to protect taxpayers from being uh, misrepresented here at the legislature. Uh, one last thing to note, uh, in my race, um, there was some electioneering uh, taking place by uh, Texas Association of Counties uh, against me and in support of my uh, opponent. Um, they are well-funded and well-connected. Uh, they use their influence to uh, do what it is that they want to do and not what taxpayers or citizens in Texas uh, want their elected officials to do. So uh, as a local elected official, I think we need to keep the good from these associations uh, and do away with the bad, uh, which is the lobbying activities. I'm available for any questions, and thank you for your time and for your service to the great state of Texas. Yeah, so of course, you know, he's over here talking about potential nefarious activity, which was interesting. I think what this really speaks to is that compared to, as we've seen this bill, as we mentioned, multiple times come through the legislature, compared to previous sessions, there does seem to be more and more of an appetite by lawmakers and other organizations to kind of, they're just, they're kind of done putting up with uh, uh, groups like TML and TAC and, and how they approach some of these issues. And so um, it, I thought that was interesting to kind of speak to that. Here's another clip of Scott Bowen, who's a, uh, a Clear Creek ISD um, uh, trustee at large, I believe uh, down there, basically saying he's, you know, for a ban on taxpayer funded lobbying because he doesn't like TASB or the Texas Association of School Boards. So let's hear him talk about that real quick. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, my name is Scott Bowen. Uh, I'm a trustee for uh, Clear Creek ISD at large. Uh, we're a district of 40,000 students uh, in the Southeast Houston area. And I'm here on my own time and on my own dime uh, to support Senate Bill 175, uh, and I'm opposed to taxpayer-funded lobbying. Um, my school board, like all the others, is part of TASB, and uh, TASB seems to spend uh, 140 days every two years advocating for everything my constituents hate. Uh, they're opposed to educational freedom, which is a priority of this Senate. Uh, they're trying to roll back accountability and A to F grading. And they say on their website that their cornerstone principle is the promotion of equity and the intentional eradication of systemic racism. That's what they're here for. 
Uh, they also lobby against charter schools, despite the fact that charter schools are also part of TASB. Um, so right now, our taxpayers are stuck spending about $19,000 a year uh, with them uh, because they also provide services that we can't easily unwind. Uh, insurance, legal services, those are hard to replace. Uh, but the lobbying is completely extraneous to all of it and, uh, and is not necessary at all. And, and by the way, I was elected to represent my region in the uh, grassroots uh, agenda development process, never got a call back. So uh, TASB does not speak for school boards, trustees, or taxpayers. Uh, it is an activist group that is attached uh, to an insurance company uh, that we have to use as school districts. And uh, what they are advocating for has not been run, uh, run by any of us. And, um, and then as the session goes on, uh, they even misinform us about what you're doing and try and turn local school boards against their elected officials. So I, I think this conduct is unacceptable, and uh, I really urge you to pass this legislation and put an end to it, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. So yeah, I'm really encouraged by the fact that you know we have a lot of now local government officials who are opposing taxpayer-funded lobbying. Uh, you know, traditionally, you know, as well as I do, when we go speak, uh, anytime we get pushback on taxpayer-funded lobbying, it is typically from local officials and more typically from rural uh, local officials, right? Because they, they will make the argument that, oh, we can't compete with the big cities uh, in, in, without, you know, without a taxpayer-funded lobby. But uh, the reality is, yes, yes, you can. One, uh, the private, you know, sector exists. You are free to come up and bind all of your rural counties together and have someone go down there. You don't actually have to pay them, right? You can, you, you could go down yourself, right? Which is exactly what you're elected to do. And so they're just, you know, outside of a normal paradigm. They've been operating in this corrupt system for so long uh, that by making it actually equal, by saying no one can hire corporate lobbyists, it would actually force them to do their job. Now, the testimony that we got, uh, there's no criticism towards these two guys. I think they understand that. I'm amazed at the testimony of the, the treasurer down there that his goal was to eliminate his own position. What a hero. Run for governor, dude. We love you. That's awesome. Um, so I was really encouraged by uh, the testimony and the fact that, you know, this idea that this corrupt system needs to end, we seem to be getting closer and closer to making this reality. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time coming. So, I, you know, I don't want to counter chickens before they've hatched, but um, it was encouraging this week to, to see a lot of this feedback, to see a lot of people in key leadership positions certainly at least be open to the idea of this go around, which is different than previous legislative sessions. So uh, we'll see. As we mentioned, of course, we've talked about both the elimination of property tax and banning taxpayer-funded lobbying. Both of those are key tenets of kind of our legislative priorities this legislative session. So, uh, you know, we're only right at the halfway mark uh, for the ongoing session, um, which is a good segue, I guess, to remind folks, we sent out yet a, a, another vote notice uh, this week. Um, if you are not, so our premier product as an organization is the Fiscal Responsibility Index. We've been doing it since 2007. And the way that works is we let both the public and lawmakers know ahead of time votes that might be considered as a part of that index at the end of the legislative session. Uh, we sent out a vote notice uh, for Senate Bill 30 this week in the Senate. Um, that is the Supplemental Appropriations Bill. Um, you can check that out, of course, on our website. But if you don't get vote notices and you want to be informed on uh, bills that impact your wallet as they move through the legislative uh, process, make sure to go 
to our website, texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. You can subscribe not only to vote notices, but if you want our weekly email, the fiscal note, and other things there. Um, we're going to start to send more and more of those out as stuff moves through the legislative session this go around. Yeah, so as you said, you know, we're, we're getting into the thick of it. I know that we've had uh, some other priority bills like uh, the elimination bill. I know uh, Shaheen's bill was referred, right? And so here in the next few weeks, we're probably going to have hearings on those. I plan on attending uh, anything that's a uh, prior to ours as long as I'm able. And so we should, you know, the wheels of session are now fully turning. And so it's only going to get busier from here. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you all again next week. Of course, we'll have an update on all the, the goings on of session and what has happened uh, we appreciate y'all being with us this week. Y'all have a great one. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. For even more content, head over to our website, texastaxpayers.com, where you can find all of our written content, the Fiscal Responsibility Index, and a whole host of resources that can help you navigate the already ongoing 88th legislative session. Make sure while you're there to subscribe to the Fiscal Note and Vote Notices to stay informed about issues that affect your wallet. Thanks.